paid way more than Cathay. I could also find some places where it's probably about the same or less. Mm. But you only really need to look and see what's happening. People are walking out the door. Cathay are finding it difficult uh, to get people to show up to, to these recruitment fairs. They're all quite glitzy. But I don't know if you have a look in those pictures and see how many people are actually there. I'm not too sure. Mm. So the tourism board plans to spend $100 million on promoting Hong Kong. The airport authority is going to give out half a million airline tickets. What, what do you make of that scheme? Is that well, gonna I mean, help? it's great to see the partnership between uh, Hong Kong and uh, Cathay. That's encouraging. That's really good. But I don't know. I'm not too sure Cathay Pacific Management's played its part in all of this. The pilots want to help. They mm. really want to help and sit down and collaborate. I'm not too sure Cathay Pacific uh, Management do at the moment. I hope, they, I hope they will. I hope they will. I hope we can actually uh, provide seats for all those tickets. It's not clear to me that we can. Well, I was going to say, if, if half a million people took up those tickets, are there enough flights? I don't know. If they took them up tomorrow, they certainly would not be. I'm not quite sure what the plan is for that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, listen, I think Cathay Pacific's always enjoyed the support of the government. I think we've been very lucky with that here in uh, uh, Hong Kong, and I think everyone's very grateful. And look, don't get me wrong. I've had a great career with Cathay Pacific. It's a great airline, and I know people enjoy flying with it. I just hope we can, uh, that can continue. Okay, Paul, thank you very much. That's Paul Weatherhills, Chairman of the Hong Kong Aircrew Officers Association. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And around Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning, the SX200 uh, up about 0.4%. Japan stocks, uh, the Nikkei 225, off 0.1%. Uh, South Korea, the Cosby down half a percent. And if we take a look uh, where Hong Kong stocks are likely to open, it seems like the Hang Seng uh, is going to open close to a 13-year low, down about 100 points this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for the final Money Talk of the Week. Back chats coming up in a moment with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast, fine and dry. Uh, temperatures going to be around 30 degrees and fine in the next couple of days. There is a red fire danger warning in force, 24 degrees, 52% relative humidity. Times 8.32, Barry O'Rourke has the half-hour news. A charity which focuses on eye care says Hong Kong people are not paying enough attention to their eye health after its survey found more than half of respondents had never had their eyes checked. Orbis, together with the Hong Kong Ophthalmological Society, surveyed more than 6,000 residents last month and found 40% were at a medium or high risk of contracting an eye disease. Emmy Lee is the society's vice president and a volunteer doctor at Orbis. I think the main reason is that many of the people, they thought that if they are seeing okay, seeing fine, then they don't need an eye checkup. But in fact, that is not the case because there are many eye diseases that in the early stage, the symptoms are, are not that obvious. So if you at a particular age, like over 50 year old, or you have uh, any family history of eye disease, you're at higher risk of eye diseases, it may be worthwhile that you receive a comprehensive eye checkup, even if you do not experience any uh, eye symptoms or eye discomfort. Turning overseas, NATO countries have promised to continue sending military hardware to Ukraine for as long as it takes to help it defend itself in the war with Russia. They've said they'll increase the manufacture of weaponry where needed. Representatives of NATO have been meeting in Brussels along with other member states of the so-called contact group on Ukraine. The US Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the group remained united and determined to support Ukraine for the long haul. We discussed ways to do even more to train Ukrainian forces who are making such impressive use of their new capabilities. And we pushed to galvanize our industrial bases to fire up production for the systems to defend Ukraine 
even while meeting our own security needs. A jury in the U.S. state of Connecticut has ordered the conspiracy theorist Alex Jones to pay $965 million U.S. million in damages to the families of victims of the Sandy Hook massacre. Twenty small children and six adults were killed in the mass shooting at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in 2012. Jones, a far-right broadcaster, falsely claimed for years that the incident was staged by the U.S. government to try to introduce tighter gun controls. The BBC's Gary O'Donoghue reports from Washington. It's an absolutely vast award, and so far we haven't been able to find an example of, of such a big award against an individual rather than a corporation or anything like that. Now, that's not to say these families are going to see any of that money or anything like that kind of money, uh, because Alex Jones doesn't have it. And, of course, there is another defamation trial coming down the road at him as well. So there's another group who uh, will be expecting these sorts of uh, awards to be paid out. We'll see what, what money actually shakes down at the end of it. And finally, researchers have grown brain cells in a laboratory into a mini-brain that has taught itself to play the 1970s tennis-like video game Pong. Mini-brains were first created in 2013 to study microcephaly, a genetic disorder, but scientists say it's the first time one has been connected via electrodes to a video game. The mini-brain learned to play in five minutes and had a good success rate. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's programme, we're looking at patriotic education in Hong Kong after secondary schools suspended more than a dozen students who didn't attend a flag-raising ceremony. The Education Bureau has asked the school for a report on the matter. It's also told all schools to deal with students who misbehave during national flag-raising ceremonies in a reasonable, fair and lawful manner. Did the punishment fit the misbehaviour? How should kids who don't behave during flag ceremonies be dealt with? And our school's doing a good job of promoting patriotic education. After 9.15, we'll look at how Japan is handling a mass influx of tourists. So let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Election Committee lawmaker Priscilla Leung, who is the chairperson of the Legislative Council's panel on education. And in our Kowloon Tong studio, we're joined by Mervyn Chung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization. And in a moment, we will also be speaking to Leung Siu Tong, the honorary chairman of the Hong Kong Aided Primary School Head. Association. Good morning to you both, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, first of all, Mr. Chung, why do you think this uh, incident has uh, drawn so much attention? Now, um, well, good morning, all. Uh, since it's related to uh, lesson of fact, flying ceremony, I think um, this is something that is uh, very, very important uh, in these days that uh, we stress. Um, the uh, delivery of patriotic uh, education uh, in schools. So uh, students have to to learn how to become patriotic, and at the same time, uh, you know, and through the process, they develop a, a proper sense of uh, lesson identity and also a sense of belonging to to uh, to the motherland. So uh, anything that is related to patriotism is important now and in, in, in the future. And uh, I think uh, this is uh, quite an unfortunate case. 
which has kicked up to, uh, a wave of uh, arguments and uh, in, 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 in the education sector. Uh, I think it's good that, that the school takes a serious view of uh, patriotic education uh, and, and pays a lot of attention to uh, national flag fr- uh, uh, flying ceremony and, and, and assemblies uh, every week. Uh, but uh, there, there are, uh, in my view, there is some um, area or, uh, that, that that might uh, introduce uh, some some improvement. Now, in this case, it seems that uh, an investigatory uh, process should be pursued, uh, giving opportunities to the fourteen students uh, who have been uh, ordered to leave school and be suspended for three days uh, to explain their their misbehavior. Uh, before the school administration decided on a proper penalty to be imposed, uh, which, which should at the same time leave room for the students to, repeat, uh, to repent and, and improve. And then to, the, for the EDB, uh, the EDB issues, uh, 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 the EDB issued a circular last year uh, about uh, uh, national Fed, uh, flying ceremony. But then to, it should be more specific with the penalties for non-compliance. Now, uh, for instance, whether or not um, this kind of uh, school suspension should be applied, it, and under what circumstances should it be uh, served to, uh, you know, to the students. Now, uh, there might be variations in the, in the degree of severity between, say, um, negligence and deliberate uh, defiance. So... I think uh, the EDB should consider uh, revising the guidelines and at the same time uh, try to see what kind of, what kind of uh, help and, and also uh, further guidance to be given to schools. All okay, right. so, so you pointed out, you know, there needs to be an investigation whether it was deliberate or they were just didn't know. So from, from what I've read from um, the press, these 14 um, secondary school students, they were eating breakfast. They were eating breakfast, they, they saunter in, they were late, and then they were told, um, now you're suspended for three days. And, and um, according to the Morning Post, one of the kids um, said, I have no idea why, why I was being punished. And some of them thought it was a little bit too much. Um, Priscilla Lung, what do you think? Three-day suspension, is that an appropriate punishment for not showing up at flag raising? I think that is uh, something we have to leave to the discretion of the school. Otherwise, it's very difficult for school members to prevent the whole policy. Also, Okay, you, you, you're getting a, your your line is a bit bad here. You, All right, Miss Miss Lam, maybe maybe uh, we'll ask our producer Yuki to try and call yeah. you back, and then we'll speak to you in uh, in a moment. Um, so, Mister Chung, what, yes. what do you what do you think? I mean, just now we heard a bit of what uh, Miss Long wanted to say. She said it should be up to the school to decide. But then now you're saying the EDB should uh, come up with a more clear guideline on the punishment or, or disciplinary actions that are necessary. No. Um for lots of things, uh, I think the, the EDB has um, has made it that um, they should be run school ways. But for national threat uh, uh, f- uh, racing and for these kind of things we, uh, that are related to national threat, uh, national emblem, 
uh, you know, for, 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 for these kind of things, which are strongly backed up by, uh, by legal provisions. I think the, uh, the EDB should step in, should step in, instead of uh, giving you know, some kind of uncertainty to schools. Because uh, schools may not have a very clear idea as, uh, as to defense between uh, deliberate or, uh, or uh, deliberate defiance or, 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 or negligence. So um, as to you know, what, uh, what should be punished and uh, at what level of penalty, I think the EDB should be, should be more specific. So are you saying that right now there are no guidelines on, on how students should be disciplined for, for this kind of a misbehavior? It is not clear. It is not clear. So uh, I think the EDB should try to uh, get it together with, uh, with school leaderships to, um, to discuss the subject and then give them a much clearer idea as to what to do uh, with the uh, official guidelines so that uh, there won't be similar troubles cropping up in the future. Now, before Priscilla Lung got cut off by the poor telephone line, um, she she pointed out that um, she thought that it should be left to the school. Now, when the EDB steps in, um, do you think it takes away too much autonomy on the part of the school? I think the EDB should should learn to appreciate uh, the misunderstanding and, and also the difficulty uh, confronted by, by school, school management in, 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 uh, in tackling issues like this. And then they, uh, together with EDB, they can come to some kind of a consensus as to what to do. So it doesn't mean that uh, it, will, uh, it will step into the territory of, uh, of school management. Okay, so Priscilla Long, I believe, is back. Do you agree um, okay. that the EDB should step in? Uh, EDB should always grant a very clear guideline for schools to follow. But let us examine this case first to uh, clarify some misunderstandings of um, different kind of comments. First of all, uh, it relates to legal matter because the students did breach the national flag ordinance, section 7A, and the school have the responsibility and duty to implement the National Flag Ordinance, which has come into effect in 1997. So this is a matter for education of school students. This is a very fundamental thing that they should respect um, the dignity of our own national flag. So this is a legal matter. They did breach the law, not have complied with Section 7A of the National Flag these are teenagers. These are teenage they are teenagers. Uh, but if they were if they were tried in in a court, they would be in a different court. Uh, uh, can, yeah. Can I finish this? Go ahead. The, the school has the duty to implement. How to implement? How to penalize? That is a matter for the schools. So far, it is within the limit of the school. I think we should leave it to the school. Okay, is it three-day suspension? I would not comment whether it's too heavy or not. I would respect the decision of the school. One other legal matter is that there's rumor that uh, they were told they have breached the national security law or ordinance. That is, uh, uh, that is uh, confusion, because this is not a matter of national security ordinance, uh, national security law at all. This is a matter, a clear-cut matter of bridging the national flag ordinance. 
and the whole purpose of national anthem ordinance and national flag ordinance is to ensure the schools have the duty and the education bureau have the duty to ensure our school kids know that there is both a moral as well as a legal duty to respect our own national flag when the ceremony is on. Okay, so, so you keep saying it's a legal matter. Are you saying that schools should be held legally responsible for the misbehavior of a bunch of teenagers? If they do not take any action, they will be held liable and it is up to the education secretary to whether they would um, uh, uh, do some pen penalty on the school. So the school have to take some kind of action. They may uh, give a warning. They may um, uh, invite the students to come and say not no next time. Or uh, we don't know the behaviors of all these 14 students. It's a large number. Why they can eat breakfast when the ceremony of the assembly morning uh, they do not join because when I was secondary student, it won't, definitely won't happen, even if it is not national flag raising ceremony. So I think it, you should respect the school rules, but we should also invite the Secretary for Education Bureau to give a very clear uh, training program for school leaders and teachers, the distinction between national security law and national flag or national emblem ordinance. Mm -hmm. They are two different perspectives and completely fall under different kind of penalty. And deliberately, the law is drafted to such an extent it is left to schools to make decisions because they know their own students much more than anyone else. Okay. Now, Marvin Zhang pointed out here that he, he believes there should be a sort of investigation on the school's part on whether it's deliberate behavior on the on the uh, teenager's part or was it just negligence? Now, you're saying that it's a legal matter and the school should be held responsible. Should, should, the, should the schools... Um, I mean, you're, you're a barrister. Is it this question of intention? Did the no, kids deliberately do it or was it just they just forgot? Shouldn't, yeah, shouldn't no, that no, be taken uh, into consideration? Yeah, I think this is just a very, uh, just an incident. So the school take their own penalty measures. Students may not like it. So leave it to the school to decide. It's not to let all this chasing to come in. It's very difficult for school teachers to follow such a matter which can be handled by the school and themselves. You do not need to take it to the to outside. That's the first thing. Okay, 14 students don't follow school rules. And four, 14 students were found not have respected the national flag in accordance with law and the schools have to take some measures. They have the duty to do it. That's the first thing. The second thing is education. And maybe even the school teachers have some confusion about national security law and national flag law, and they confuse these two concepts because they are not lawyers, they are not legally trained. So we have to make a distinction so that things need not blow up like that. But the whole point is we should not jump in too much on how the school handle this kind of matter. At first, we do not give the penalty in the uh, Section 7A. It's because we think it's an education matter. But the duty is on the Secretary for Education as well as the schools themselves. So how to link up the relationship? 
the government have the duty to make sure the schools know how to understand those laws and how to make sure and educate their own school kids not to breach the national flag ordinance, okay? And if the schools have, done, have not done that, they may face uh, penalties from the Education Bureau. So they have to do something. But now we are not saying they need to take the whole case outside. They haven't. So the school students also have to take the penalty. They haven't obeyed the school rules. I don't know why so many students don't obey the school rules and they because don't know. Because they're teenagers. You know? Teenagers, I tell you. Because they don't in know. Other, in other countries, primary students, I have studied in the United States, okay? Primary school students, how to have good manner towards the dignity of their country when they sing national songs. So this is the problem of Hong Kong. It's not the problem of the ordinance. Every country, even primary and kindergarten children, they know when they hear the song, their own national flag is up. They know how to respect it. They are not eating breakfast. You see? So if the school doesn't take any measures, they will be accountable. So I think uh, all the media on outside uh, comments need to know the education in Hong Kong has not done thoroughly in this regard in the past 25 years and let us take it step by step as i said the laws some of the laws like national security law are not too easy to understand so maybe even teachers has confused this all right uh, Ms. Long, Ms. Long, let's let's uh, bring in uh, lung siu tong let's see what he has to say he's the honorary chairman of the hong kong aided primary school heads association and good morning Ms. Lung, mr lung yeah. yeah, hello. Hi, uh, thank, thanks for joining us on the program. So just now we've been talking about um, how, I mean, we've, there's been a sort of a debate about uh, how uh, schools should take action or should not take action and whether the EDB should step in. And uh, yeah. Ms. Leung was just saying that uh, there's a lack of um, training or, or there should be more training for, for schools on how to uh, um, handle these kind of uh, cases. Uh, what's your view on, on, on this? Uh, first of all, for me, I actually not I want to say too much on the case because you know that there are a lot of uh, different kinds of ideas uh, bring out from the media, from the school, from the uh, teenagers we call uh, the, the students, all this. So actually I think in this case from the very beginning the school should first of all, to investigate, again, the whole school policy. What things they have done and what kinds of uh, procedures they have told the students to do right while the flag raising ceremony, what kinds of the uh, orders they have to obey, all these things. They have to check whether they have told the student, all these important issues, and whether they have any kinds of, say, punishment uh, before. They have to check this, all these things. From my point of view, it is a time for the management board to check all these rules, whether they have told the students or not. And, of course, when we compare with other schools or 
we have to compare with the uh, security law, all these things. We have to follow the security law on all these kind of uh, red racing ceremony, all these things. So first of all, I do think that we don't blame everybody. We have to check all the basic issues, whether we have uh, told to the uh, pupils at the very beginning. This is my point of view. Do you think that schools should be held legally responsible if the, if the um, school kids don't follow the rules? Uh, for, for sure, because uh, the school has to respond to the government. Uh, they have the duty to do all these kinds of uh, follow the national security law, all these things. They have to do so. But uh, just as I told you, that uh, before we do all these things, for every school in Hong Kong, they have to tell the students what they have to do in all these kinds of ceremony. And otherwise, if they can't follow this, what kinds of the um, consequence they have to meet. All these things, they have to do so. Robin Chow, do you agree? Schools should be held legally responsible for the misbehavior of the children? Uh, as uh, uh, Priscilla has just uh, mentioned that already there's an uh, ordinance governing the, uh, these things. So any violations um, must be uh, you know, pursued and, and uh, those responsible should be, should be held accountable. I, I, I think it's only, uh, this is something reasonable. But then to, it, there's a lot to do in terms of the, uh, the kind of communications between um, the school leadership, uh, the parents, and also the students. So I, I think uh, uh, whether the school leadership has from time to time, especially say at the beginning of each, uh, each new term, um, made clear and unmistakable communications with students on this subject uh, to ensure that they fully understand what they need to do in order to ensure uh, absolute compliance and and, and also a, a decency. So, okay. uh, mm. yeah. may I may I may I may sure. add, Go ahead. some of my comments? Yeah, the school have to obey section seven a. Both the secretary for education is a clear cut issue. Okay. As to what penalty the education secretary would penalize on the particular school who do not take attention to misbehavior or breach of law in, within their school, it is also the discretion of the education bureau. As in, in the same way, when the school kids breach Section 7A in the school, okay? Whether or not the school doesn't provide enough education uh, to the school kids, um, we can ensure the Education Bureau to take more steps to train every school. However, how the school penalizes the students, so far it is within the school rules. I think it's the discretion of the school. So whether the school will ha be held legally liable, it, of course, that would depend on the attitude 
and the behavior of the school management. But Section 7A, I believe the original intent is to give the discretion to the Education Bureau to decide different kinds of measures if schools are not taking serious steps to ensure students obey the law. Okay? So it is very clear that the National Flag Ordinance does not spell out a particular penalty for breaching Section 7A, this National Flag Ceremony, because they want the particular school to make decisions so, so that it need not take out as a legal matter by some other law execution bodies. You understand? So we would like this matter to be handled by the education sector, both the government and the schools. So in fact, it is not too healthy for, for the whole case to be brought outside in the community to give so much pressure to the school. I think they can point out, maybe, I, I, we, we need to ascertain whether there's some confusion of a particular decision um, maker that they confuse the national flag law and the national flag ordinance. But All right. All right, Ms. Leung, I'm, all right, Ms. Leung, we have to uh, take a short break uh, for the news. I'm sure you've already made your, your points very clear. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Priscilla Leung, Election Committee lawmaker and chairperson of LegCo's education panel. Mr. Cheung and Mr. Leung, you'll be staying with us for a bit longer so we can continue our discussion in around three minutes' time. And after 9.15, we'll be looking at how Japan is handling a mass influx of tourists. And uh, just a quick look at the weather. Mainly fine and dry, the top temperature will be around 30 degrees, winds moderate to fresh northeasterlies. Right now it's uh, 25 degrees and the relative humidity 54%. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Jenny Lam and me, Janice Wong. This morning, we're looking at patriotic education in Hong Kong after a secondary school suspended more than a dozen students for disrespecting the national anthem and emblem when the group failed to attend a flag-raising ceremony. Still with us on the program is Mervyn Cheung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization, and Leung Siu Tong, honorary chairman of the Hong Kong-aided primary school heads association, and election committee lawmaker Priscilla Leung, who's in is the chairperson of the Legislative Council's panel on education, has also decided to stay with us for a bit longer to um, finish her um, points. Uh, so, Ms. Leung, what, what more do you want to have to, what more do you want to add? Yeah, I want to read out Section 7A. The law said that the Secretary for Education must give, must, okay, so have, have to give directions for the inclusion of the national flag and national emblem in primary and secondary education sector on the regulation of displaying and using the national flag and also on the etiquette to be followed on a national flag raising ceremony. So this is in law. So this is both a legal matter and an education sector because the law already being very considerate not to give specific penalty. Why? Because they don't want the matter always go up to the court. That's why there is no specific penalties in that ordinance. However, the instruction is on the Secretary for Education that they must give directions to schools 
the directions can be very detailed. Okay, uh, either warning or suspension or kick out of school, that kind. Okay, but I believe sometimes this kind of directives cannot be as detailed as to taking away the total discretion of the school managers. So okay. that's why um, I think we have to look at it also from the education perspective. Leave this matter to the school to assess because we have brand one school, brand two, brand three. So all these may have different kind of students and the schools may need to have certain flexibility in assessing what kind of penalty. All right, Ms. Long. All right, they uh, have to give penalties. Otherwise, they cannot do that. They are monitoring the exercise and the ordinance to be properly followed in the schools. All right, okay? Ms. Leung, I, ha- I have a, a Facebook message here. Maybe you can answer this before you go. Um, it's from T.C. Zhang, one of our listeners. He says, if the goal is to instill a sense of patriotism, then punish the- punishing them this way is the most counterproductive way to achieving that. What these students did, he says, uh, brackets eating during the ceremony, isn't particularly disrespectful. Now, Ms. Leung, the, the whole idea of um, requiring schools to hold flag raising ceremony at, at least uh, once a week is to help um, cultivate national identity among students. So so what sort of, um, or what possible impact do you think this incident may have on this effort? I mean, is it like uh, what T.C. Zhang was saying, that uh, it's just counterproductive? Yeah, I think this matter has been unnecessarily blown up, unfortunately. It should be left to the school as well as to the Secretary for Education to settle it from the perspective of education maybe some more guidelines to whether first warning, second warning, etc. Okay? Also for a briefing. However, it's not an excuse to say that it is counterproductive and then you escape from any kind of penalty. Okay, Lung Su Tong, you, were, you worked in a primary school. Sorry, yeah. um, we, we have two other guests here. Mr. Lung Su Tong, you used to be a principal of a primary school. Um, do, do, will, will punishing the schools be counterproductive in, in the effort to try to cultivate a sense of Chinese identity in the, in the students? Uh, in the past, actually, uh, for ethnic students, they have done anything wrong. Uh, probably we will try to give them some warning first. And then uh, if they have to uh, attempt this kind of uh, things against, I do think that we have to give some penalty. Uh, so for this time, actually, just as uh, Priscilla Leung said, that uh, actually every school, they have their own uh, uh, ways to punish any people. But uh, all these things, they have to said beforehand to the student, or maybe they have to print out some of this kind of uh, instruction, advice, all these things in their school report book. So that everybody, every parent, they have to know that. And then uh, the student, of course, they have to follow the instructions uh, provided by the school. That's our my opinion. You've, you've worked with primary school children. When you, when you print out these rules, do you expect a 10-year-old to actually read them? Well, of course, they have to do a lot of uh, briefing section. Uh, the the uh, class master or class mistress will uh, explain all these things to them. 
and of course they have a lot of parents meeting and we have to distribute all these things to the parents as well. To the parents, the parents to the parents them. as well. Yeah. Mr. Chung, yeah. you think the parents should be held responsible? Um, of course, um, parents themselves uh, must understand what uh, schools expect their, their children to do uh, in, in school. So uh, I think the, the point is uh, we, we must not say all the time that who should be held responsible, uh, you know, uh, even parents, etc., etc. Uh, I think the key to successful implementation of a lot of things in schools uh, uh, depends on the, the kind of effective communication and uh, interaction between schools and uh, parents and, and students. And if we come to penalty right in the first instance, then a, a lot of things could not be, be done convincingly. Right. And uh, we've been focusing on like uh, flag, national flag raising. I mean, what more should be done to promote uh, patriotic education, Mr. Leung? Yeah. Uh, actually, I do think that at the, uh, at the at present, I think in the whole school, we have to create an atmosphere to let the students to have more um, more time or more space to know more about our China. Uh, for example, we can do some kind of exhibition. Uh, we can take the kids to the to visit some place like um, the recently we have a lot of the Palace Museum of Culture or uh, different kind of places that they will show that they are national identity of their uh, own identity. Of course, we can uh, invite some of the professionals to our, to our school to share their ideas about the, the story of China or even we can have different kinds of film talking about China. A lot, a lot of things to do. Why do you and think the course, kids didn't already know these things? I mean, you know, they go to school, they, they learn history. They, you know, why, why do you think this uh, uh, kind of, um, this aspect of education was so lacking in this school that we now have to step up? What, what, what went wrong? But actually, you, you know that all these things, uh, they may know a little bit, but we do expect our teachers to investigate all these things deeply, and then they will share with their children. Because uh, uh, you know that not just China, for, for Hong Kong, just like house our we live in Hong Kong but we don't know very very deeply about Hong Kong we have to share the different stories of Hong Kong as well I mean, so, what, what, have, what, what have the children been learning in school just how to do exams how come they don't know any of these things in the first place they have a lot of facts only but they can't have the impact why you know that oh uh, Hong Kong is a very uh, uh, international city, right? How can you know what is international? You have to tell the student to go to visit different kinds of places. Or oh, we have the financial center, we have the shipping center, all these things. Just a word. But you don't walk in and uh, uh, investigate more deeply. You don't know the the whole story. So more effort in showing them rather than just telling yes. them. Is that what you're saying? Yes, for sure. 
All right. And I have uh, two emails here. One is um, from Angus. He says, uh, Priscilla Leung's performance on your program this morning sums up what is wrong with Hong Kong. She blames the kids and schools while ignoring how badly thought out this law is and indeed national education is. Um, Ms. Leung, are you still there? All right. I'm afraid uh, she's gone already. All right. And uh, I have another email from um, Man. He says... um, uh, oh, it's also it's a question directed to Miss Long, but she's uh, already left. All right, um, maybe Miss uh, Mr. Long, uh, Mr. Chang, what, what do you think uh, of uh, what this uh, uh, listener just said? That uh, um, the focus has been too much on uh, blaming kids and and schools. Um, I, I think it it, it varies from case to case. Uh, well, in this case, I, I, I do think that there's room for some kind of uh, uh, investigation and, and also explanation uh, on the part, uh, you know, between the school and, and, and the students in, in involved in uh, Instead of uh, jumping straight to a very uh, strict penalty of, uh, of suspension from, from classes, uh, which is a very serious form of, uh, of punishment for students. Uh, if there could be more more communication uh, uh, between the two parties, uh, this kind of uh, issue or this kind of uh, uh, you know, uh, mistake might might uh, might have been avoided. So what I stress all the time is that um, while of course the students themselves um, have to understand the importance of flag raising ceremony, a sing, a playing of national anthem, and, and respect uh, for, for, for national emblem, all, all these things. Uh, because when they are in schools, they, they, you know, part of it, uh, part of their curriculum or part of their activities should focus on these things. So they must bear in mind and they must observe uh, uh, the need to, to be comp- uh, complying with, uh, say, uh, fat raising ceremonies, uh, 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 mandatory uh, attendance, and, and also the related de- uh, decency. But then uh, when they get to difficulties, uh, school, school teachers and also school leaderships should also try to understand why they have come to a certain mistake. And, uh, and they should also be consulted. And in case they, uh, they repeat that uh, disrespectful uh, uh, behavior, then some kind of penalty should be should be imposed. You know, at, at the beginning of this school term in September, hmm. um, the government figures show that we've lost about fourteen percent uh, of school teachers, especially hmm. at primary school level, teachers who are not university graduates. Yeah. By threatening to punish them, do you think it will encourage people to go back into teaching? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, and I hope that this kind of uh, well wastage of, of teachers uh, will only be uh, you know, tra- uh, transitional, so that eventually you know uh, a lot of uh, especially experienced teachers will will rejoin our, our teaching force, and of course, uh, what the government should do is to make the um, the operational environment in schools uh, more conducive to genuine and and uh, happy learning and teaching uh, instead of uh, requiring schools to do, to do this and what without uh, uh, proper consultation of them, understanding their difficulties and giving uh, uh, ad- adequate uh, support to them. Okay. 
All right. And Mr. Leung, I mean, earlier um, in the first half of the program, uh, when Ms. Leung was still uh, with us, uh, joining us at this, our discussion, uh, she was talking about how uh, there should be more training for for schools on how to uh, handle uh, flag raising ceremonies, for example, and uh, how to discipline uh, um, kids who maybe misbehave during those uh, ceremonies. Uh, do you think there is enough uh, uh, training right now for, for teachers or is there any training? Yes, for me, uh, actually... I do uh, appreciate that at EDB has actually done a lot of things, uh, for example, seminars and uh, print out some of the documents for the teachers to follow. But of course, all these things uh, from uh, 2020 up to now is only about two years time. I do think the teachers, they have to uh, uh, to uh, digest all these kind of the documents and the rules uh, in one or two years time and of course uh, I quite uh, uh, I quite agree that uh, all these kind of the penalties should be done school by school uh, they have to uh, set up some kind of the uh, basic uh, steps to uh, follow the, all these kind of the rules but of course some important issues just like back raising ceremony or ceremony all these things you have to uh, request the students to do and follow the law not the school rules as well so everything we do think that no matter the teachers or even the principals and the students and the parents they have to follow this step by step and I do think that uh, at this moment everybody should be calmed down and think about all the ways that we have done or what we have done or or what we should do further on. So I, I do think it is a very good uh, case for us to discuss but uh, I do think that let the schools uh, do all these things by themselves. All right, so Mr. Leung, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Leung Siu Tong, Honorary Chairman of the Hong Kong Aided Primary School Heads Association. Also, many thanks to Mr. Cheng. He's the uh, Chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. All right, it's now 19 minutes past nine. Let's turn to our next topic, and it's about Japan and its influx of tourists after it reopened its doors to international travellers on Tuesday following two and a half years of tough COVID restrictions. To tell us about the situation in Japan, we're joined on the line now by William Pesek, Tokyo-based journalist and author. Good morning, William. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So what is it like over um, where you are? I mean, does it feel like everything is back to normal now? Well, you know, walking around uh, some of the, the, the busier kind of, uh, you know, shopping districts and, uh, you know, sort of entertainment districts, things are definitely uh, significantly cra- more crowded today than they were a week ago. Um, certainly the influx is coming. You know, we, we've seen a lot of news coverage um, and a lot of newspaper photos from, say, cities like Kyoto, uh, cities like Sapporo, 
up in Hokkaido. So uh, the influx is, is coming. Um, you know, certainly a gig like NHK Television, they seem to have a camera set up at the airport. Um, you know, filming people arriving uh, at, at the airport. So it's. Um, I think people are a bit excited in that. You know, it does signal that Japan genuinely is reopening. We've been talking about reopening for a year now, and suddenly it's happening. So it is a bit of a jubilant moment, if you will, and the economy at the moment could uh, could use all the pick-me-ups it can get. You know, so here in Hong Kong, we we still have some some COVID measures. Um, you know, the zero plus three, and and there's been a lot of talk about reviving um, our tourism sector here. What are the efforts on the tourism sector of Japan to to help them come back after COVID? Well, one of the things they're doing is that they're doing a massive ad campaign. You know, the yen is down sharply. The yen is down about twenty seven percent this year alone. Um, that's twice as much as the as the, uh, the Chinese currency is down versus the dollar. So Japan is doing this massive marketing campaign. They're also rolling out a variety of discounts for um, foreigners arriving. Um, and I think the government also is doing its part to help revive the, the tourism industry in the short run. You know, before 2020 hit, Japan had invested massively in, in building new hotels and new transport around the country. All those things have been mothballed over the last two and a half, three years. And suddenly there is an effort to increase employment in the hospitality sector. I think the government finally, you know, after decades of, of talking about it, they finally realized that tourism is an important growth engine. Unfortunately, when they did decide this was the case in 2019, 2020, um, it was at a very bad moment. Is there, is there any worry on the part of the Japanese people with this influx of um, potentially pe people carrying COVID? Well, absolutely there is. Um, there are a lot of concerns on that front. Um, I think also, you know, in, in say in 2019, uh, Japan saw a record uh, number of visitors come in. Almost 32 million people came in in 2019. And around that time, even before COVID, in cities like Kyoto, there was a lot of talk about kind of gaijin fatigue. You know, I think people felt that there were just way too many people coming in, way too many too many people on the streets. It was getting a bit too crowded. So I think that some of the locals were a bit up in arms about that. It'll be interesting to see how that goes at the moment. But I know when, you know, when Japan was hosting the Olympics, uh, you know, in 2020, but then they had to do it in 2021, there were a lot of concerns about the influx of travelers and COVID. There are those concerns right now, but the Japanese have been very careful. I mean, basically, you still have pretty much 100 percent uh, mask uh, wearing compliance here. People are being very careful. So, you know, there are concerns, but people are you know, going on with their lives and, you know, hoping for the best. And uh, you mentioned the weak yen earlier. I, I guess that's helping to attract uh, more more travelers to Japan. Um, what about uh, um, the uh, tourism-focused business that have, uh, have uh, maybe shut down over the past two years? Are, are many of them returning now? Well, they're trying to return. I mean, one of the problems you saw is that, you know, basically hospitality, employment, plunged sharply, of course, between 2019 and 2021. I mean, hotel employment alone fell about 23% during that period. So there is an effort to, you know, ramp up employment. A lot of people who are working in hospitality pivoted to other jobs. And it takes a while for the government to, to incentivize people to shift back to the hospitality sector. Um, you know, there are efforts to in increase uh, airport employment as well, uh, airport staff. 
um, customs staff. And so it will be a, a slow process, and I'm sure there will be some kind of, you know, some sort of speed bumps along the way. Um, but the government seems to be working on this, and they're rolling out new discounts for folks overseas, you know, 10% uh, discount coupons, that sort of thing, offering different kinds of uh, Japan rail train passes uh, at advantageous rates. And so the government seems to be taking this influx of tourism seriously this time as, a, as opposed to uh, in the past. So, again, we'll see. The economy needs to pick me up. You know, th there's talk of the economy shrinking in the month of August. And so any kind of influx you see in spending would, would be helpful. And uh, looking at the influx of uh, international travelers at the moment, uh, how much impact do you, do you expect it will have on the uh, Japanese in economy in, in the short term? Well, Prime Minister Kishida is talking about 5 trillion yen worth of spending per year. That's about 35 billion U.S. dollars of tourist-related spending, and, and that's, that's a good thing. The problem is that China cannot come. I mean, you know, when you think about where Japan was in, say, 2019, when it was beginning to see record tourism numbers, a lot of those tourists were coming in from the mainland. A lot of those tourists were coming in from Hong Kong. Uh, of course, obviously, you're seeing very little of that at the moment. So in some ways, Japan is reopening, but the, the, the biggest potential store of tourists cannot come here. So in some ways, this reopening, we have, you can say we have one arm tied behind our back in certain ways. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I, again, the economy is stumbling at the moment. Inflation is rising. To, uh, you know, inflation right now is almost 3%, which is unheard of for an economy that's had deflation for the last 25 years. So, you know, Japan is certainly hoping for a big boost over the next three to six months, but it remains to be seen how much we will actually experience when, when all is said and done. Hmm. You, you mentioned this 100% mask wearing. Um, so for people who want to go to Japan, uh, are there other COVID precautionary measures that's going on? Well, I mean, certainly, you know, basically there's, in terms of people going indoors, um, you know, basically mask compliance uh, wearing it is, is expected out on the street. Um, people can, for the most part, if they want, walk outside freely without a mask. Um, at the moment, you know, in terms of PCR testing, that sort of thing, those requirements have been dropped. Um, but again, you know, the Japanese have been taking COVID very seriously. So, you know, you still, again, you still see a high degree of mask wearing. You see, you know, hand sanitizer everywhere has become a bit of, I'm sure, you know, there in Hong Kong as well, it's become a bit of a religion when you enter any kind of structure. Um, so, I mean, again, it, it, you know, you know this, the, the cultural differences when people arrive, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, but I think the government is taking precautions. And there are a variety of apps that the government has rolled out over the last um, several months to help foreigners gather information on you know, different protocols, that sort of thing. So it, it'll be interesting. And uh, we, we have mentioned the weak yen a few times already. Um, um, where, where are most of these uh, tourists coming from? I mean, the tourists that have been attracted by the weak yen. Well, certainly from Europe, um, certainly from Australia, uh, and a certain extent from the U.S. Um, you are seeing an influx of tourists. And Japan also is getting a fair number of tourists these days from Southeast Asia. Um, and I think the weekend is helping that scenario. I mean, in the last, say, three years or so, especially before COVID, 
Japan was enjoying a lot more tourism from, say, Singapore, from Indonesia, from the Philippines, um, from Taiwan. And I think that, you know, the weekend will in many ways be a draw for, for folks. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why Japan is so appealing aside from, you know, the food and the hot springs is the safety factor, right? I mean, it's just, it's a very safe, comfortable place to be. It's a place that functions well. It has good infrastructure. So when you think about the kinds of um, amenities, if you will, the kinds of experiences people are looking for when they travel, um, Japan is a very attractive place to be. And because it's less expensive now than it has been historically, I think this is probably a, a good time for Japan to be marketing itself. And, you know, I think the more Japan does market itself, the more this will carry on two, three, five, ten years into the future, hopefully. And uh, earlier you mentioned uh, Kyoto, Hokkaido. I mean, which part of Japan is uh, most popular right now for, for tourists? It's definitely Kyoto. However, you know, in the, the Tokyo region, you do have smaller cities like Nikko, which are famous for temples and shrines and hot springs. Um, Yokohama uh, is certainly popular. And, you know, Osaka, which is not far from Kyoto, uh, a lot of, uh, they've done a lot of marketing in recent years, certainly through the airport, to offer advantageous flights in and out. Like, for example, a lot of the tourists from South Korea now are entering Japan through Osaka. And the, the benefit is that Osaka, again, is pretty close to Kyoto, about a 40-minute train ride away. Um, you have a lovely cities like Nara, which, is, which are pretty close by. Um, Nagoya is not terribly far away. And so I would say, really, it's Kyoto mostly, it's right. Osaka, and it's also Hokkaido in the north. All right, William, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, William Pesek, a Tokyo-based journalist, and also many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us this morning, and, of course, to our guest presenter, Jenny Lam, and producer, Yuki. Now, here's the weather, mainly fine and dry. Highs expected today of around 30 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh northeasterlies, and the red fire danger warning is currently in force. 25 degrees at the moment, relative humidity 53%. Given the volatility of the pandemic, please get the third COVID-19 vaccination dose soon. The antibody level will drop over time after receiving a vaccine. Getting the third jab gives extra protection to guard against the virus. Most importantly, it 